0: This episode of Burgundy Radio is brought to you by a question that has puzzled theologians and skeptics alike for centuries. Why can't we have nice things?
1: He's jumping up and he pokes the puck. Watch this, the puck goes like this. Now watch where Byron is. Bo Byron is a defenseman, he's the guy that should be back. No, he attacks the play. <laughs> yeah, the avalanche are up 3-0, but Bo Byron did not return. No, he did not. Not on the Avalanche bench. so we'll keep going as soon as we get official word. If you had said to me after 11 games, who's going to lead the Avalanche in goals? I don't think JT Coffer would have been. There's the post right there, but Coffler front. Great hands right here. Buck comes back, and he bats it out of midair. <laughs> JT Coffer does
0: have an upper body injury. We were hoping he was going to be able to make it back, and he will not make it back tonight for the Avalanche. And after 22 years, Raymond Moore... Greetings, one and all, near and far, reaching your ears wherever you are. Welcome to Burgundy Radio. I am Vlad, your host of Burgundy Radio. Joining our starting lineup today is Perlow6 Earl. How you doing? I am well, Vlad. Thank you. And also joining us is Tiger Vixen. Jackie, how are you today? Hanging in there. All right. Okay, so when we last graced everyone's digital airwaves, the ABS were about to wrap up their season series against the Columbus Blue Jackets at Nationwide Arena. The Avs had dropped the first game in the season series by a score of 5-4 in overtime at Ball Arena on November 3rd. As they did in the first game, the Avs would take a 2-1 lead into the second intermission, and as they did in the first game, they would surrender three goals in the third, falling by a score of 4-2 in Ohio. Andre Burakovsky was the lone goal scorer for the Burgundy Blue in this game.
1: I thought they played a lot better in the second game um, versus the first, even though the first was, was obviously closer and a a slightly better outcome. Um, But it it was the second game in a row. They blew that lead that they had going into the third period. And, you know, that's just unacceptable. Um, You know, the the other team is always going to push back and you're expecting that you need you you're prepared for it and you know, they, they just couldn't hang on to it. And that, that was, it was very troubling. Um, especially since Columbus is an okay team, I I wouldn't put it, I wouldn't put them in the same sort of genre as some of the, the bad teams out West, but, um, this is a team talent wise that the Avs probably should have been able to beat at least one of these two games. And they, they lost both in really bad ways. Um, So I I think this was kind of a wake up call. And again, with some foreshadowing that might've helped them later on in the week.
2: Well, Columbus is getting better. There was um, a stat about how they were like the youngest or second youngest team in the league, depending on who's in the lineup. And um, I think that surprised the Avs a little bit. And they also worked pretty hard. They were tenacious. They stuck with it. Like, they didn't give up. And I think that's why they were able to turn the tide in the third period, both games. And what I take away from that series is just the Abs didn't play a good team game. Um, After this one, I was really frustrated with McKinnon. And anyone who listened to last week's show knows that that was not a new development. But just everything that has been wrong with his game pretty much most of the year came to a head in that game. And it's not fair to scapegoat one person because there's a lot of uh, contributors who let that game get away. But he he's the star. Like He's a leader. He sets the tone when he plays a really individual, selfish game. The rest of the team follows that. And so I think that was pretty apparent. And maybe they took Columbus lately. I don't know. They probably shouldn't after the first game. And uh, maybe they just weren't ready to make a difference in the second one. But like Earl said, they blew the same third period lead again and weren't even able to, to get it to overtime that time and got the same result, basically.
1: Yeah, and they had much better per- personnel for the second game as well. I mean, you had Michko and Burkowski back. You had Taves in his season debut, and you know, obviously, he was a little rusty that game, but he was, you know, still pretty effective. Um, but even adding those three guys to the lineup, the result was, you know, more or less the same when you look at the blown lead. So, you know, it's hard to point to personnel, and I totally agree with what you were saying about Mac, but. It's it's hard to to lay this all on personnel as far as blowing two leads like that. You're like, this is just not a team that's executing well together. Like you said, um,
2: well, we know Bednar's strategy is pretty much like we know the blueprint that works. When you get back to that blueprint, it's gonna be successful again. He's not a very change it up coach. And that's something we've definitely talked about is should he do that more? But then the other side of the coin is then you become too reactionary. Maybe that's a problem too, but they pretty much just rely on the talent to figure it out.
1: Yeah. And I don't think like I I think even if you want to, it's very hard to to make major changes to your systems in the middle of a season. You know, even when you have a a shitload of time off like they did over the past couple of weeks. Um, you know, I, I I understand why the staff would be like, look, this is going to work if you guys do your jobs. Um, so do your jobs. Um, and it it is, it's a tough thing to balance. Like when do you say like the guys are doing their jobs but this still isn't working, what do we do? Um and I, I don't think we ever got to that point. Um, so at least that worked out. But I, I think the question of whether he has enough sort of minor tr- minor tweaks, minor changes that, that he can make game to game to you know, stimulate the guys towards playing a, a better team game or whatever it takes uh, is definitely up for a, a debate.
3: And it's
2: hard to really compare because from game to game, it's pretty much been different lineup. So as far as I'm concerned, like nothing permanent even exists anymore. It's just whatever happens every night. So it's really hard to, to say, you know, did, did they build on this performance? Did they take a step back? what's the difference what change did they make that could have possibly worked because there's so many variables and they change all the time so you really can't pinpoint it
1: yeah and i've that, i mean that's why i've you know i've been waiting and waiting and waiting for some semblance of consistency before i really look at any kind of numbers you know as far as what they're doing generating shots or suppressing shots or suppressing quality or whatever it could be because it's 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 kind of pointless because you really just don't have the same lineup from night to night so you're 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 basically analyzing 10 different teams at the start of the season
2: and it hasn't been as simple as the more talent that's in the lineup the better they play because it hasn't been like that there's been some nights where they had some of their i guess you could say poor lineups and they played better so it does sort of point to that team game aspect is there is it a men- mentality thing where you know that you have so much less available so everybody gives more is it is it a way certain players work better with each other that maybe they're not together in a different combination, it's really hard to say. I think a lot of it is mental because it seems like against certain teams they think are more important, it seems like they give a better effort, which is maybe a really too big of a generalization to make, but it feels like that sometimes. Like they didn't really take Columbus all that seriously, but magically they played pretty well against St. Louis and Minnesota, a lineup.
3: Yeah. I, I,
1: the best thing I can come to is when they have certain guys out of the lineup, and it's fairly random who those guys are, but when you have a role that's missing, it's really tough to make that up if, you know, the makeup of the rest of the lineup that's there just. You know that it it, you don't have the guys that you need to fill that role, and you're you're square pegging it, Um, and that just that causes some frustration, and it probably causes a little bit more of the problems playing the team game.
2: I think Um, it's natural when you see your stars come back that you say, "Okay, well these guys." are going to carry us. And I don't think it's like conscious de- decision, like, Oh, well, I don't have to work as hard, but it's just, you know, that those guys are leading the way. And it is a lot of pressure on them too, but that's what they're there for. And when they're not executing, it just all tumbles down.
1: Yeah. And like uh, Jared Bednar said, after, the vancouver game you know it's like when you get these guys back it's like that allows you to play this guy lower in the lineup and probably in his role that that he's better suited for and it's like that's a cascading effect and it it, you know he didn't say it exactly but it you know it does allow you to have guys in the roles they're supposed to be in to play your team game and it just it makes it easier to do that
2: But then we've seen the opposite. But I realized... We've seen that when the stars are there and you're not relying on on some of these other characters, that they play worse. And maybe that is just coincidence, but it is sort of a
3: theme of this season.
1: And it's not just this season. I mean, we've seen that, like... You know, we can remember sort of the... The mid-season injury woes that we've gone through, you know, basically since JB took over as coach, you know, you get like three or four guys that are important out of the lineup, and you know, the team sort of does play a little bit better team game, and then when the the stars come back, you have a bit of a letdown.
2: Well, um, it's the same. It's not just the ABS. It's the same thing we see in the league. Like San Jose yeah. had their COVID issue, and they won through it with. Basically, mostly an AHL defense. And as we'll see coming up in the last game we discussed, you know, they, they got all the, the big boys back and they didn't win. And Ottawa, yeah. where some people were crying that there weren't even enough players available for them to, to play the game. Well, they went out and beat Pittsburgh six to three with a whole bunch of random call ups and yeah,
1: just I mean, whoever like-
2: they could put out there. And they win a game
1: yeah, they've been signing guys left and right this week and, you know, just cobbling together a team. Um, I, you know, I don't know what that says. I mean, you know, is, is the Ottawa system so good that anyone can play it? Or is it geared more towards bad players? So bad players play better or, you know, you have to wonder about some of these things.
2: It is a weird phenomenon. Like, is it just a a mentality thing? Is just the, You know, the chips are down and we're going to do everything possible to win this game. Or does the other team take them lightly and just say, oh, my God, we're playing basically the NHL team. Like, it's going to be easy.
1: Who are you?
2: (laughs) 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 And then, look, you lose to them. It's It probably would not remain successful over the long term because over the long term, you do need your talent. Yeah. But it is weird that it seems to work out that way.
4: Yeah.
0: And you look at both of these games with Columbus, and I know that we discussed the home game in the prior, in the prior episode, but the score in that home game is a lot closer than really it indicated because the AVs, as we already discussed, had that two to one lead going into the third and then completely collapsed in that third period for the span of ten minutes. You take away those uh, empty net you know extra man attacker goals by by the AVs towards the end from uh, uh Byram and confer and you're essentially still looking at a similar result that they suffered two nights later on the road so is it is it more of a mental thing or are they taking them lightly and it's very possible that they did maybe that's why they started with Jojo in in game one and decided to just hold off on Kemper until game two but as we saw in game two once Columbus got dialed in they were they were rolling and it didn't matter
1: yeah I mean that you you take out the last three minutes of the first game at home and basically the results are the same. Um, that's so it's the like, game you
2: know, that Kemper kept him in it too. Like if people were waiting for him to stand on his head, it could have been worse. Yeah. yeah the shot, shot differential in the first game
1: lead. was, I mean, the, the shot differential at five V five was ridiculous in that game. And it's like, that's, that's why I say they they were a lot closer in the second game. um, and it just, but Kemper it had to make a lot of
2: grade A saves in that right. game.
1: Right. The second game, they, they had much more control of that game, I thought. And, but, but they were did, giving
2: up quality is what I was saying. Like, yeah. if he didn't stand on his head in that second period, they easily could have been just down earlier. Yeah. And I guess it was a good sign in one way because a lot of people are kind of waiting for Kemper to show that he can be more than just an average goalie, which is probably even being generous to him at this point in his early abs tenure. Like he hasn't been terrible, but he's struggling to even be average. And he finally had like a, I don't know if I'd say a great game because he did lose it at the end, even though like the dam just broke. It wasn't really his fault, but it was nice to see a stretch of dominance. I guess is what I'm saying of him standing on his head and trying to be a difference maker.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're, they, they, he was interviewed last night and a lot of people are asking like, Oh, are you finally feeling comfortable? Are you finally feeling this? Are You finally getting dialed into the system? And then, you know, he's dismissing it, but you can kind of tell like, you know, the first, you know, eight games of the season, let's say, um, the ones that he played, <clears throat> you're, you're looking at a different lineup in front of you every night. You don't know what player X or player Y or player Z is going to do at any given moment. And it's, it's just a lot tougher for a goalie when he has to deal with those variables instead of just what normal goalies deal with. You know, it's like you, you, when you're a goalie, you want to deal with as few variables as possible. And,
2: and I wouldn't quite say he's proved it either. I mean, it's nice. They won the two games, but I mean, those exactly weren't games where you were, you're like, boy, the goalie got us that 2-1 to win or whatever. Which, I also know they don't want to rely on that, because if you're relying on that, that means your 5-on-5 is breaking down and your right. team's playing terrible, but you know, you do need a goaltender to make, make a difference there. Like, good teams need good goaltending. And they go hand-in-hand.
1: Right, and I mean, the difference between good and bad is maybe one or two saves a game. So... It- it's a very small margin, um, and it's like when you're con- when you're not giving your goalie a consistent look in front of you, it's like you're not going to get those one or two saves. I mean, it- it's like it'd be nice, but like I I can't totally fault Kemper for a lot of what went on in the early part of the season.
2: Say some and yes, I'm, I'm no, always. A- it does go hand in hand, sure. Like I do believe in the getting comfortable and the system. And I know Ben talks about predictability where, you know, there's going to be breakdowns and if everyone understands where it's likely to happen, you can mitigate it better. So that's just things that you'll have to learn.
1: Well, and also, I mean, we've seen over the past few years, it's like when the, when the abs are struggling and it looks like it's a goalie problem, it's usually not. um, it's usually a lot of problems with the people in front and you know my biggest culprits are usually the forwards not controlling the upper half of the, the defensive zone um and i think we've seen with with gr- what grubauer is going through in in seattle it's like he needs predictability and good play in front of him to look like he did with the abs and he's not getting that in Seattle, and he looks terrible, and everyone's just like, oh my god. Um, and it, that's... I mean, I'm not that surprised that's what he looks like, because I think most goalies would probably look like he does in Seattle right now, because I mean they're just not a good team. And he's used to playing behind a, a really good team. <clears throat> so, I mean, also I, I fully step- expect that Kemper is going to end up looking even better than Grubauer. I think he'll be
2: fine. Like, I'm not saying I'm worried about him, but I also think it's fair to say that he's been part of maybe the slower start the Avs have endured. So
1: I'll give you, yeah, I'll I'll say that. I mean, it's like every player on that team is not playing well.
2: And I think the same thing with Grubauer. Like, I don't think he's all of a sudden terrible, but he did benefit playing behind a really strong defensive team. The Avs were last year and we know that seattle is is not as good but did he get propped up a little too i don't know we'll see he's gonna be there a while so we'll it see sure over the is a couple years
0: right and, and i'm sure we'll talk more about our old pal Grooby on the next episode but i think there, in if we're doing a comparison between kemper and grubauer in this current lens there's also that added microscope that Grubauer has right now of that contract that he signed right now, and Kemper doesn't really have that. Kemper's relying, uh, I guess, the analysis rather on Kemper is
1: he's trying to earn that contract. Because
0: <laughs> true, he's trying yeah. to earn that contract, and
2: and be worth he's a trade. relative <laughs> be worth his trade.
0: That too, that too, and the fan base doesn't really know who this goalie is because he was in Arizona, and we lightly touched on that last episode. So the most exposure that anybody has had with him was in that playoff round where he was, you know, robo-goalie for at least one game and stole one of those games in that series. And I think that's the expectation most people may have of him is to be that when maybe that's not what he is at a consistent level and watching him in Arizona to the injury aspect of the roster in front of him. Yeah, he did have holes on, you know, on the Arizona defense. The difference I think was that it's not to the frequency that he's experiencing now here in Colorado. So having long-term absences in your injury lineup may actually help in terms of consistency versus, You're going to have Ryan Murray in your lineup for a couple of games and then you're not going to have him and then you're going to have Bowen Byram in there and then you're not going to have him. More on him later, but that maybe that might be a part of it or it could be just as Earl said, the entire sum of the roster is underperforming.
1: Yeah, and asking any goalie to play behind Curtis McDurbin is no, that's not fair. I think there is I'll a grant you that.
2: that all top guys have to dominate at all times. And and yeah, that can be a little unfair. Maybe just if people see Kemper steal that win, then, then you feel better because you know he can do it. And like I said earlier, we don't want him to do that because that just means all the time because that means your team is just terrible and you're stealing wins and yeah. that's going to end at some point. But I guess if you just see it happen once, I'd also like to see his analytics, you know, at least get to goals saved as expected. Yeah. I mean, the know. last thing we want
1: to see <laughs> is a bunch of two to one victories from Darcy Kemper. I mean, that'd be great. But again, that that just says the team is playing like crap.
2: So it'll just take time with him. It's, but I wouldn't say it's solved after pretty much winning a couple blowouts either.
0: So after our Columbus game, it would be another four days before the Avs would play again, and in that time, the team announced on November 10th that Nathan McKinnon would be out for three weeks with a lower body injury. While panic rightly set in with the news among the fan base, the team seemed to take a collective approach in making up for the loss of their top center the next night at Ball Arena against the visiting Vancouver Canucks, taking victory with a 7-1 score. Goal scorers in this contest were Valerian Nichushkin, Gabe Landisgaard, Miko Rantanen twice. Logan O'Connor, Darren Helm, shorthanded and Devon Taves. The Avs successfully chased Thatcher Demko after two periods and Yaroslav Halak would come in for the third and he end up surrendering he would end up surrendering that second Rantanen goal.
1: Alex Newhook, was what, that, what, <laughs> which was really scored by his defensemen. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Alex Newhook was also called up from the Eagles and registered an assist on the opening goal. Unfortunately, this victory came at a cost with the Abs losing Byram after he took an elbow to the chops by Vancouver captain Bo Horvat in the first period. We'll talk about that injury here in a bit, but your thoughts on this team's response in the wake of losing McKinnon and not just that the Abs won this game, but also in how decisively that victory was achieved?
2: It reminded well, me a lot of, of the Chicago game. Like the first yeah. period was great. The they were up three and then it was just pretty much garbage time the rest of the game. like I wasn't paying that close attention to whatever happened in the rest of the game. It just dabs just kept scoring it it's, when you get a lead that early, you do kind of worry because there's just so much wasteful time that the other team could put together a couple you know, dumb goals and get back in it, but once they got to four or five, whatever, it was over and it was just just scrimmage the rest of the game. So I don't really take a whole lot out of the rest of that game. It's it was nice to put up the Brazil, it was nice to score some goals, especially since that has been a struggle at points during this season. Um so yeah, pretty much thoughts on that game.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was surprised at how bad Vancouver looked. I mean they're their record indicates they're, you know that they're not that great. They've been playing eastern teams, so um maybe it's a a little bit of unfamiliarity, but they haven't been playing great teams and they don't have a great record. Um but they you know, they they looked bottom of the barrel in that first um, first period. It, it was
2: Well, it's always like a breath embarrassing for, sure for them when the abs yeah. can play a team that doesn't check tightly it's just it's almost like wow what what kind of world is this and it's, <laughs> it's always nice after you've played sort of a grind like the columbus games were and some of the teams in our division and then to, to play a team like that where it's more wide open and they don't really defend it's like <laughs> they can just go to town um but Vancouver has skill that that's the uh, the other side of the coin is that you also can't take them lightly because their talent can show up and score goals. so um, but they did not in that game
1: <laughs> yeah, um, that was, I mean, it was a really dominating performance, and you're right it it was garbage time very early, um but they you know they they didn't let Vancouver get their foot back in the door like they did with Columbus. Um So, you know, that's a small victory, I'd say.
2: Maybe it's <clears> just <throat> getting that third goal. You know, there's always a point where it's like the, the dagger, the tipping point. Just three first-period goals is just a little, little too much to overcome.
1: Yeah. And just the... The first goal was, you know, you had two guys that hadn't been in the lineup for a while, in Nechushkin and and Newhook, um, you know, combining for a goal that was all at once highly skilled and very gritty. Um so I mean I, I think that was definitely uplifting to see and you know they just they they carried it through the rest of the game. I and mean, they they really didn't let off. um You know maybe maybe if those Columbus games hadn't happened, they they might have backed off a bit and and maybe something bad would have happened. So you know I think that's why it did end up being a Brazil
2: I think the lack of tight checking helps,
1: <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I could definitely see them getting up three or four to one and just cruising like they had been. And
2: well then you get goals from everyone. You get the shorthanded goal. You know, you're getting a, a variety of different different guys scoring there too. It's kind of like all the the luck turns around all in one game.
0: While acknowledging that Vancouver does have skill on its roster, but is also kind of Middling at this point, given their standings in the Pacific, does the fact that the Avs had such a strong victory, does it does it the fact that Vancouver just isn't playing well, diminish that by any means?
1: No, I mean, I don't think it. I don't think the opponent really mattered that that much as far as that. I mean, I think what they needed was a game like this where they could play their game, um, come out and dictate. um and honestly, I, I that pretty much fed through both of these victories. Um, you know it, it's a confidence thing. it's It's knowing that what you're doing is paying off, actually. And I, I just think it's really tough to do that when you're playing Columbus's. You know because you can grind and grind and grind, and it's still like one nothing or two nothing or two one. And It just—it doesn't feel like you're dominating, dominating, one way or the other.
3: Did we lose Jackie? No.
4: Okay. (laughs) Just checking.
0: So something else happened in this game that uh, I don't know. To me, I I found it pretty shocking, but uh, Kiefer Sherwood uh, found himself on the wrong end of a high swing of the stick by Vancouver's Tucker Pullman. Uh, Pullman got a match penalty for that and a subsequent two-game suspension for those shenanigans. Uh, uh, Yeah. Given the weirdness that has kind of been going on this season, and it's Not just you know abs specific. We've seen weird stuff happen across the league, but why on earth? And and it of course didn't look like it was you know the uh, Donald Brashear incident from you know twenty odd years ago, or it was the two handed chop. But I I'm just having a really hard time trying to wrap my mind around the fact that this this happened. You yeah.
2: mean that it was such a severe penalty, or you mean that he did it?
0: That that he did it? I'm glad that it was taken seriously, but... I don't know. It just seems to me that it was... We've seen weirdness across the board here. And this is probably on the more extreme end of the weird pool for me. Pardon the expression. <laughs> but... Because when I saw that happen, I, you know, I saw the, uh, you know, I saw the, you know, the collision with both Sherwood and, and Pullman. But in the minute, you know, you know, in the process of the play moving up the ice, I missed the swing of the stick. So, I'm, I'm not sure if I should commend the. Uh, the The officials for doing for doing what they did and you know stepping in and maybe that's where I should just say all right they definitely took their they took this seriously and that's what you want to see instead of just so uh, waving that away like they've done with so many of the other weird things. Well, I th- that's gone I on. I think so for far. me
2: this is one of those like easy calls like you intentionally swung the stick at someone's head. I, that one no gray area there's no need for interpretation that's like an easy one for them to call and justify and it really doesn't happen all that often like it it is kind of shocking to see an intentional wave of the stick to someone's head and um you know i only saw the replay once or twice i didn't like zap root or it or anything so um and maybe i missed some fine details here but was it was an obvious swing to his head but it wasn't like a big wind up or anything like that it just kind of like he decided to whack him and then it kind of went high so you know it is what it is there it's it didn't surprise me because like i said seeing on the replay it it looks like an intentional swing to the head so they're going to call those. And I guess guess we should be thankful they at least care about that. But, I mean, in general, it, it is so frustrating because you don't know from game to game. Our guys get hit and hurt all the time. You know? It, it, and then uh, it, it does happen to the opponents, too. It's just... And, and people get so wrapped up in, like, it, dissecting exactly what the rule is or the intent or where the impact point was. It just all doesn't matter. Like they don't care. The players if the players care more about head hunting then the PA would do something and they don't. So Wheel of Justice is even more random now than it used to be. Now it's just two games, no matter But who gets it is random. You just it doesn't matter. What I wanna see is no headshots and I think that's what everyone would, but police or finding guys more or doling out more penalties or suspension. It's not going to stop it. This is the way the game's played. And this is the way the players want the game to be played. And, you know, we're just going to have victims all the time, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the horrifying part of the incident is that Pullman thought it was okay to do it and that he's, you know, he basically got off with, with nothing. um, no repercussions for doing it, you know, you swing a Are stick at someone Are you talking about
2: toughness because you obviously got suspended
1: for two games. I mean, that's nothing.
2: I know, it's nothing. That I mean, what really
1: but, that, but that's the thing. I mean, it's like someone's if you know head. you can swing your stick at someone's head and all you get is a two-game suspension, I mean, what's stopping you from doing it all the time? Nothing.
2: Nothing. Nothing yeah. stops anyone from doing it and half the time you're not going to get a penalty or get suspended. So why not keep doing it?
1: Exactly. And it, you know, I mean, this is just, a, this is a huge hour long show type issue, but, um, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I wonder why the league and everybody is okay with that. Um, you know, is is that what the fans want to see? You know, are people there to, to watch people get hurt or smashed in the face with a stick or, you know. It...
2: Or is that <laughs> just hockey, you know, or is, is that just, playing hard. Are we all getting too soft because we don't want to see guys go down with headshots? I don't know. I, I like hard hitting physical hockey. I'm not against that stuff. I, I would like to not see headshots anymore, but I don't know what the solution is to that. I don't think there is one. The players don't want to be that. That's the truth. They don't want to have to be on eggshells. They don't want to have to play hit because they don't want to get suspended. They don't want to change the game, so it's not going to change. And it's it's wasted mental energy and emotion and effort. It just it sucks. I hate it. And um, but everyone whining about the penalties and the suspensions and the Department of State Player Safety. It's just all bullshit. It just none of that matters. This is how I feel about all this. So I don't know. Just. It's something's gonna happen like every week, either to us or against us. And oh, this didn't get called, that didn't get called. Just oh well.
0: And with that being said, we look at the other end of the other incident with Byram and Horvat. Hor- Horvat gets the elbow up, hits Byram up high. Byram's out for the rest of the game. Abs would. Now be without his services in the upcoming game, which more on that to come. But in the in, in that specific instance, no penalty was called. I uh, I watched the replay too after the game, and it didn't appear to be anything, you know, with malicious intent. But now we're on the flip side of it. Should there have been? some sort of uh, infraction called against Horvat for that.
2: And I say no because what I want is for it to happen. And like it does, it's not going to make me feel better if he got a 2 minute penalty or a 2 game suspension. Like that part's irrelevant. I w- I want the player on the ice. Is that that's what I want. So it just this reactionary stuff doesn't matter. Now like you said, was it the most dirty, intentional head hunting type of no? And so you're getting even further into policing the game and policing physicality and and contact and this and that. It's just it's just not going to happen. So the whole I mean, like Pandora's
1: oh, box is open with that. They've been <laughs> permissive with, with with all these kinds of hits. Yeah, and the yeah, you know, the players are fine with it because they don't want to you know they don't want to lose salary or whatever. Um, but i i just i I don't think it adds anything to the game. And I don't think it, I think the worst part is it the only memorable parts of these hits are the fact that you're losing players um for these periods of time. They have to recover from injury. Um. You know, I I just, I, I wonder what the thinking is behind, you know, trying to add this to the game.
2: Yeah, I just, like I said, I don't really see a solution. It sucks, and it's just, it's like playing Russian roulette every single game.
0: I hate to dehumanize it in such terms, but is this, simply put, the cost? of doing business as playing a sport such as hockey.
1: Perhaps. I mean, it doesn't I, have I, to I don't be. know. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Does it have to be? They, they it choose to have it this way. Yeah. Is it just hockey? Is it part of having a contact sport? I don't know. I don't know what the difference would be. I don't, it certainly wouldn't be calling more penalties. That, that's not the answer. It's, it's the way the game's played. It's it. It's the way it's played. Even in the AHL, it, it's just even worse down there because there's even more recklessness. It, it's not. It. There's a few dumb shits that want to cause injury in the uh, in AHL, but for the most part, it, it's not. It's just recklessness. It's guys in weird spots and awkward spots and and trying to hit each other, but. It it's a problem there too because Justin Barron isn't playing because of a check to the head.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the one way you could <laughs> fix it is is something that I I it would be very tough, and it'd be kind of like the season after we came out of the lockout when they finally started enforcing interference and the clutching and grabbing and it's just you'd have a season where you're calling, you know, 20 to 30% more penalties per game and, and you know that would be awful and you'd be suspending guys um, you know you
4: you'd
1: <clears throat> there there would be repercussions for for playing reckless and dangerous
2: I just don't um, think
1: I, I think you could I think you could make it through a year like that and you'd end up with a better game, but there's obviously I just
2: don't believe in the punishment mm-hmm. aspect. It that's that's not really changing the culture and and the way it's going on. And I know a lot of people disagree, is that after you get so many suspensions, maybe people would get it, but to get to that point
3: I just think it's impossible really.
1: It's not impossible. It's just nobody wants to.
2: Well, the players don't.
1: I mean, let's be real. Um, the league doesn't either. They're fine with players getting hurt every game. You know, it doesn't, it's not money out of their pocket.
0: Two nights later, the ABS would host the San Jose Sharks on Hockey Fights Cancer Night at Ball Arena. The Sharks would take advantage of a sluggish start by the ABS and get on the board early on a goal by Logan Couture, which. Uh, then proceeded to only wake up the Avs, who would rattle off five consecutive goals against Aiden Hill en route to a 6-2 victory. Devon Taves, Nazem Kadri, Alex Newhook, with his first regular season NHL goal, having scored his first career goal in the first round of the 2021 playoffs against St. Louis earlier this summer. Logan O'Connor with another shorthanded goal. Andre Burakovsky and Sam Girard with an empty netter to end things. Like this game... Rather like the game against Vancouver, this game also came at a cost with the abs losing GT comfort to an upper body injury sustained during the first period. No McKinnon in this game, no Byram in this game and no comfort for the balance of this game. So are we just looking at a carbon copy of with Vancouver where it's just an underperforming squad on the opposition and the abs just asserting their dominance?
1: I think so. I mean, I I think the sharks were getting a lot of guys back from COVID protocol and and then I, I think it's tough when you're bringing that many guys back. I was looking at the transactions before the game, and I, I think it was five or six guys that they brought back into the lineup. Um, and that's you know that's adding a lot of skill. That's a better team. but, um, it just didn't it, it didn't look like they were ready to sustain play, even though they I, I think they were up eight one in shots before the Avs finally woke up, something like that. Um. But it's yeah, just, was, they, they got nothing going after that. Yeah, I was <laughs> kind of
2: following the Sharks in their COVID issues because Melosh um, was playing. If anybody's not aware, yes, he still has some NHL potential. And um, so I was hoping that he would play in this game. But like Earl said, they sent everybody back and activated all their regular players. I felt like that could be bring on some rust too but to start this game they were not like the Avs did not start this game well at all which to answer vlad's question how i didn't feel like this was an exact replica of the vancouver game because san jose scored first even and the Avs had a really bad first 10 minutes and then once they finally scored the first one themselves it seems like they relaxed and started taking over the game But at the end of the first period, it was still only 2-1, to so it wasn't like in the bag like the Vancouver game was. Now, when they got the third and fourth goals in the second period, that was when they pretty much crossed the threshold and the game was over. So, maybe there was more garbage time after that just like in the previous game. But they had to fight a little bit more to get there, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So, in, in that way, it was a little bit more satisfying, but it is probably the Sharks just ran out of gas after all those guys hadn't played for a, a week or so.
1: Yeah, and at altitude. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a tough ask on, on what the Sharks players had to go through. Um, but, I, I mean, I was somewhat impressed with the way they came out. I mean, they've been not good lately. And I I thought it was just a you know, a little early season magic um, the way they were playing. Um, I think they're
2: legitimately better. I don't think yeah. they're like bottom tier anymore. I mean, we'll see if they can be a playoff team in their division or not, but they still have some it, decent players over there. And, and some of them are, have, are having better seasons. And, you know, so I wasn't looking at this one as a cakewalk, like how last year was. They're so bad. They've been playing some legitimate, decent hockey, and then playing decent with their fill-ins. So yeah,
1: you know, I'm I'm a big goalie apologist. When you're, you know, blaming teams bad play on on goalies, but it really does seem like, you know, getting rid of Martin Jones. um, Yeah, that was huge
2: for them. No doubt. (laughs) There's
1: no doubt about that. I mean, Aiden Hill is, you know, he's a pretty good goalie. He's, You know, he's just not proven. He's not a big name or anything like that. But, um, you know, he and, and last night was obviously a bad example. But, um, you know, he seems to be doing for them what they've needed over the past few years. And I, I do think besides that, like their defense is quite bad. You know, it's like Burns and Carlson. They're just, you know, that's not why they're there. Um, and they play a lot. So you're just gonna you're you're gonna deal with letting in some goals, but just not quite as many as Martin Jones was letting in.
0: It's interesting to me that um, San Jose was interested in acquiring Aiden Hill from Arizona. At, in Arizona, Hill was third on the death chart behind both Anzi Ronza and Darcy Kemper. So for the Sharks to be interested in bringing him up in a more uh, prominent role for them. I thought was I thought that was very interesting. And I didn't get to see much of Aiden Hill play when he was with the Coyotes, but certainly, um, he's better than the result of last night's game would permit.
1: Yeah, I mean, Jackie and I so, have seen a bunch of him in, in Tucson. Um, you know, he's a solid goalie. And it's just, you you don't really know how that's going to stack up, you know, until you put him in the NHL and, and you know, uh, behind a, a team that's got, you know, something to play for. Um, I forget so who's the
2: other part of their tandem.
1: Who was last year?
2: No, no, right now it's Hill and who else? Because I know that they moved their Cornish to the yeah to Arizona, which surprised me a little bit because he was sort of in that same mold as Hill, as your third goalie that still has a little bit of upside. Maybe he could become an NHL regular. So it was interesting that they made that swap, and I know it was for expansion purposes. I don't remember the exact the details of it, but I know that Arizona could detect. They, they wanted to protect, um, well, they could only protect one and it was Kemper and then they obviously traded him, but um, I think Coronash was uh, waiver exempt or expansion draft exempt. And that was a big part of the shuffle, but I um, can't
3: remember who else San Jose has as their goaltender, but I guess
2: Hill's their starter, right?
1: I don't know. I, those <laughs> games are on too late for me to watch.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'll look it up. So continue on. Sorry, that was a sidebar.
1: Yeah, but it just did, you know, it, you can see what the Sharks have now. And it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, Couture is still decent. You know, Timo time. He's good. No, like. Th- oh, that's is right. That yeah. Him?
2: So Hill looks like their backup, actually. Hymers <laughs> looks his better stats, more of their starter. Um, you know still in this game. The, the first goal the Sharks scored on Kemper that was not a great one. That was a pretty sharp oh, yeah, angle was. that you.
1: <laughs> that was a fr- that, I, I doubt, like, if you timed this, the time it took to get from Couture's stick to the back of the net. I mean, that's just a world class shot. Um.
2: But from that angle, you have to make that save. You just, in the NHL, to shoot from almost at the boards, almost at the goal line, you, you have to make that save.
1: I mean, like, Bo does that, so... <laughs> Should
0: those goalies be making those saves?
4: <clears throat> yeah.
0: <laughs> I'd have to okay. go back and see the replay, but I think Kemper may have been screened on that attempt
2: he probably was like he probably was he probably didn't see it but you have to be you have to be covering that spot at that point
1: yeah i mean I, that would be nice but again like i don't know you watch that goal and you're just like it, it, the the puck is in before it leaves couture's stick it looks like i mean it's that fast um but
2: hey after but, that yeah, I know he let in one other one. I can't even really remember that shark school. Was it on the penalty kill? I
1: don't remember. Um, it was the one. one where the dude, where um, Ryan Murray was just not covering anything, and there was a guy sitting right on top of Kemper's head, and it went past him.
2: Okay. Yeah, I don't fault him for that one.
1: No, and <laughs> he obviously
2: shut the door beyond that, and that—that's what they needed. So. Your goalie lets yeah. him, too. You're probably
0: fine. Yeah, that was a a power play goal against the Habs. Alex Barabanov.
2: Okay. I, that's why I thought it was a penalty kill. So.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I do think this was... These were two different victories, even though they look a little similar, just because they're both blowouts. Um, you know, it's like Vancouver did not show up to play. San Jose did at least at first Um, you know San Jose seems to be a better team more skill um, just a little more together in general Um, so you know I I do think there's different things you can take out of each of these games and you know a lot of positive
2: well it's of course it's nice to score because it gets everyone's confidence up it's nice to win at home they need points. I mean, the Avs desperately needed any points. So, to pick up four points helps. So, from that aspect, it's obviously been impossible. Now, them missing everybody, maybe not so positive.
0: Yeah. So, small sample size, notwithstanding, are the Avs starting to shake their early season malaise, or are we still, is it still too Soon to tell,
1: I mean, I think I... they can. I, I think there's been some normalization. Um, you know, and they're playing they've they've got another cupcake week coming up where they're we're playing vancouver and and Seattle. And that's, you know, there are only two games this this coming week. So you know, it's like they've they've got to continue to improve and you know, be dominant in these games, be able to inflict their style upon these teams early and control the game. I think you know, we've seen was- abs
2: hockey at points. Like it, it didn't just take these blowouts. I mean, blowouts are fun and everything, but does it really tell you something about your team? It's, it's like a day when all the shooting percentage luck adds back up, right? You get your shorthanded goal, you get your fourth line goal and everything's wonderful. Right. But I was happy with, like, how they played St. Louis and Minnesota, and and I keep referencing that, but to me, that's when maybe I was the most impressed, because they had a really depleted lineup, they went out, they played a good team game, they beat teams that are tough to play against, and they played abs hockey, and then they had some other good moments, too, so... I know it's in them. It's just a matter of doing it consistently now, which is another tough task because every single game is going to be a different lineup. But, you know, there's some identity in there that carries through regardless of who's playing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, I, I I do think that they've gotten enough guys back in key spots that it does help. Um, You know, I, I think we saw Nachushkin have a huge effect on the games, oh,
2: yeah, they they definitely early
1: on. That. It is. yeah And it's it's just that's there isn't another Nachushkin. You can't call up a Nachushkin loan from no. the NHL or anything like that. And you can't ask someone that's, you know you can't ask Darren Helm to be Nachushkin or anything like that. <laughs>
2: absolutely just... not. No. <laughs> I think they at this point need to do what it, what it takes to keep him because like you said, you're just not going to find another one. And he's such a good fit that I hope he feels the same way too, especially after how it went in Dallas and just falling out of yeah. favor and I mean, everything like that, where he just fits this role perfectly and he's a big part of the team, but he can do it sort of anonymously and, um, he just. Well, makes- he's also
1: the, the stupid reclamation pro- project that worked, <laughs> you know,
2: <laughs> which which will never happen again, right? Like that's the one out of. 100.
1: I mean, it never. I mean, I think every team wishes they could get one of these every fifteen years, you know. I mean, it's like when you sign the Yakupovs or whatever, it's just like you're hoping that something like this happens, and with Ch- Nachushkin, it actually did.
2: It's just such a perfect storm because, right? They just love the way he four-checks He's. One of their few big guys. He's good defensively. He four-checks well, but he has enough skill where he can make things happen. He can score the occasional goal. That pass that he gave on Kadri's goal in the San Jose game, I couldn't believe that was him. I thought it was Burkovsky. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> when did Nuke pass like that? Like He was saving that one up for a good time or something. Yeah. But it would just be very well, I, disappointing I- to – to not do what it takes to keep him. Cause it's not going to take 6 million bucks or something. Like give the guy a little money and just, you know, you, you right. have he's, that. He's never going to score lineup.
1: enough that he's going to be a <laughs> cat burden, you know? Right. Just, uh,
2: hopefully they can meet in the middle somewhere. Like I said, it, I, I hope he recognizes that it it's such a good fit. Is he going to find that somewhere else?
1: He, who knows? But um, Right, I mean, I think most players around the league, you know, are like, it, it could get worse than playing when, for Colorado, you know, when you have a, a set role that's, you know, well, a, a meaningful is... role.
2: <laughs> I mean, it probably was traumatizing, just, you know, the disappointment and getting bought out and everything. You just think that would just be so glad to have all that junk behind you.
1: Yeah and it's just i mean you you can look at the numbers when he's been in the lineup this year and and you know it's interesting that both Nachushkin and newhook were in the same games and out of the same games so they they've played 3 games in those games the avs goal differential is plus 12 the power play is 3 for 12 um you know in the games where they haven't played the, the avs goal differential is minus 8 and the power play is 4 for 34 so it's just you're you're looking at sort of night and day, and I realize it's a small sample size and all that, and it you know those are those numbers will migrate towards each other, but um yeah you know, I mean he, really- he, when I was talking about a, 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 a absences with roles where guys just you know when they when they're not around you just don't have access to that role you can't just put someone in there I mean Nichushkin is exactly who I'm talking about because you can't. You just can't replace him. There just isn't another guy like that. Um, you know, and it, it's great to see Newhook come back from the Eagles with a lot of confidence. He's, you know, he's got a point in each game. He looks good. He looks so much more engaged than he was in that first game and in preseason. Um, I mean, that,
2: that's exactly how you should use the AHL. You know, if a guy needs to go for 10 games and figure a few things out, fine it's not a big deal and i agree he looks a lot better he looks like himself and and he's able he's able to contribute right away like he he makes things happen i always call him like an opportunist creator i don't think he like drives the bus entirely but within things that are happening he like facilitates it and we we saw it in the two games that he played so right he should never go back like this should be it like he needed a little tune-up, okay, and he's back now, and he's been a positive difference. So it should right. be like no big braining it. It's not like they have a million other great forwards to push him out of the lineup. Like <laughs> they need him,
1: <laughs> right? And it, you know, it, if you look at what he's been through, you know, over this this past year, you know, it's like he comes into the ABS and it, it just immediately thrust into. The, you know playing both for for the Avs and for the Eagles um, you know plays a little in the playoffs and things like that but he's never actually been to an Avs training camp and it's like that you know this fall was the first time he had to go through that um, you know and and deal with sort of the pressure of you know earning something like that and when you're not the the best player on the team and and all the other uh, things that that young players have to adjust to and you know, it you'd hope that he would have handled that better, but it you know it, it just didn't happen. But the fact that he, you know, went down there and figured it out right away and then came back and contributed right away. I mean, that's you know, that's that's really encouraging as far as you know what you project for him over the next few years
2: So, yeah, hopefully, Nuke can new hook and stay in the lineup
1: because we need be him. And talking about conference injury, like, you know, it he drew an interference call by getting smashed into the boards. And I, you know, I was pretty sure that's what it was from what Bednar was saying. He said he pulled something at, you know, maybe you can pull something when you get smashed into the boards. I'm not sure. Um, But it, you know maybe he just like fell and twisted funny or or something like that, so it it's not something you can like look at the play and say like, "Aha, you know he broke yeah, his I wasn't
2: sure what happened i' don't, I don't you know really zero in on comfort shifts.
1: Just... <laughs> I hate to say I didn't care, but I didn't <laughs> uh... well, um, and you know I, and conference... I think the really interesting part of that is Logan O'Connor going up to the first line and playing wing with Miko at center. And it worked pretty good. (laughs) Uh, Well, we'll see it in the
2: game. They're not leading handily.
1: Right. Like, I don't think you'd want to start a game like that, but
3: it's always nice when you
1: see Miko play center and pull it off. Um, just Aren't cause... they at
2: that point, though? I mean, okay, let's assume that he's going to be out at least for, let's say, at least this week. Let's just assume that Comfer isn't back. McKinnon's not going to be back. You know, you have to do oh, something. I, I think
1: what I'm saying is, like, you should never should have had Comfer there in the first place. <laughs> well,
2: thank you know, God. it.
3: it's like they...
1: when, when when Mac was injured, um, you know, maybe your first thought should have been, hey, let's put Miko at center. And then deal well, with right wing, and you know you you have a lot more options then.
2: Well, Bednar has been pretty consistent. Like if he does something at the end of a game, like a new combo like that, he's gonna roll with that through practice and like to start the next game. So that seriously could be the thinking there, which I agree with. And you could do Why worse. I mean, it's them- like LOC <laughs> like, is years.
1: just red hot. So. <laughs> you take advantage Not of it right. while you can.
2: <clears throat> yeah, sure, I get that and then they need somebody at center, right? So your your best players just kind of have to to do that and that is the funny thing is that it took them this long to put Miko in that position, which sounds absurd, but for anybody that doesn't know, Miko played his entire career in the AHL as a center. So I don't know. Was this something they wanted him to have bag of tricks, but it seems like Bettner hasn't been really that interested in. I don't know, but I think he makes a decent center. Like if that's what they have to do moving forward until they get McKinnon back, it's probably not yeah. the worst idea because who who's left and no, they're not going to put new hook at one C come on.
4: No, <laughs> <laughs> No, Jost has
2: not played well enough this year to it. I think they like how the burakovsky Kadri, nuke line works. With all three of those guys available, you shouldn't break it up. so there there really isn't another option at this point
1: right. And again, it, if if two guys are going to be able to carry someone that's that's not perhaps at their level, you know, it's going to be Gabe and Miko. It's not going to be like Kadri and. Uh, and nuke, with you know if if you put O'Connor with Kadri and Nuke, you're you know, maybe that works. Maybe it doesn't. But it's like it I, I think with with Miko and Gabe, you can put someone like O'Connor there. and You know, it. it you're, yeah, you're like not going to be relying good. on O'Connor for his defense there because you've got Gabe to be F3 and, and Miko to be F3 if need be. So, <clears throat> um, you know, you're allowing O'Connor to, you know, not, not have a, a a huge amount of responsibility that way. So, you know, he could respond um, pretty easily.
2: Yeah, you're not asking him to carry the puck. You're just asking him to forecheck and he does that well. So... Yeah, Yeah. maybe it'll work, but it is funny. I think the other point you're trying to make is just that Confer has been sort of this auxiliary center that can play on every single line. And it kind of finally burned them, which is a little unfair to him because it's an injury.
1: You know, it's not (laughs) like his fault, but. (laughs) Well, and it's just, I mean, Confer's, you know, he's, you know, he's scored a lot, you know, he's, he's up in the, the tops of the, the team in scoring. And it's been a little bit of smoke and mirrors as we pointed out, you know, there's some empty net stuff and you know, not a lot of five V five scoring and things like that. And it just it's generally like it at five on five, you know, maybe he's, he's not, not gonna be the guy <laughs> you need to to play on your top line. Um,
2: so if this force is a little out of the box thinking maybe they need that. And I didn't yeah. mind Miko at center and yeah, the game was meaningless at that point. But I liked him in the middle of the ice. he's He has a lot of qualities that make him a decent center. So I don't think, it's yeah, I mean, he's he a lot
1: better defensively than he was early in his career. I mean, it's it took him a while to really acclimate to you know playing a defensive game. And he really wasn't asked to, I don't think. But you know, it's like now he, he I, I think the way he plays a two hundred foot game, That you can put him in the center role and be fine with it.
2: Well, you just want to take advantage of his IQ, his vision, his passing, his playmaking ability. I think that's a real asset at center.
3: Yeah.
1: So, sucks for JT. You know, Bednar said it could be two days, could be quite a bit longer. So we don't really know what's up, and we won't until
0: tomorrow afternoon at the earliest. Speaking of right-wingers, uh, yesterday the Avs put in a, a waiver claim, something they haven't done in some time. Claiming Nicholas Obe kubel from the Philadelphia Flyers, a second-round draft pick from the 2014 draft. Uh, what do you two know about him and how do you two see him uh, fitting into this lineup?
1: Well, I actually has- remember him from the playoffs a couple of years ago and I don't know why I was watching Philadelphia, but I just did. Um, but he, you know, he had a really good playoff. I guess it was two series for them. And, you know, he, he looked like he was going to be a, a guy that they, they called up and, you know, added some jump to their lineup and whatnot. It just it didn't work out uh, last year or the beginning of this year. And, you know, I, I'm not a big Alain Vigneault fan. So, you know, I, I, I'm not sure whether it's all on Obey Cabell, whether, you know, he was disappointing or not. But I, I think with his skill set, um, he's going to be a lot better than having Kiefer Sherwood in your lineup. You know, he's a real NHL player. He's got some skill. I mean, he was a second round pick for a reason. So he's going to be able to add something to the Avs bottom six, you know, that, that Mike might, might work out pretty good for them. And it, it really does depend on whether they get the guy that the flyers waived or they get the guy that was, you know, really good for them in the playoffs a couple of years ago.
2: You know, usually I would just cringe at a waiver claim, but he's not old. He's not washed up. <laughs> like you said, he's not Sherwood. So
1: <laughs> he's definitely not Sherwood.
2: <laughs> it just it just shows that their forward depth is pretty sad, really, and that they didn't address it. And even though now they have New hook back. That that should have been a help, but they just need they need more players. So I get it. And um, I mean, I
1: think they were trying to skate by with playing Sherwood and just saying, "Well, we'll get healthy, and then you know we'll send them back, and everything's good." And it just it turned into a much longer. Um, And the funny thing is, with Magna,
2: Com forgot her too. So if everything had stayed the same, they would have just got rid of Sherwood, but. You know, so we'll see how it goes. I do get the feeling, unless he's just, like, terrible, probably is going to stay the rest of the year because they need guys. Um, When you said that you remembered him, I thought you were going to mention from the Memorial Cup from 2014. When see, Valder I don't was remember him from it.
1: that, even though I watched it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't say, like, I was seared just watching into my Sam. brain. But... Well, they had several guys. You know, Graves was on that team, too. And Sam Henley. And that team was awesome. Like, that was one of my favorite Memorial Cups. So, I guess if you're ever going to, like, grasp onto these players, that's a decent group to go through. But, you know, it's just funny that it goes back to a lot of these coincidences. And, um, you know, I looked into O.G.L.'s our- oh, game a little bit, like, I'm not watching other teams' bottom six, let's be honest. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> um, all the games from last year are still archived on the NHL app for some reason. So I watched a little bit of one of the games he last games he played in Philly last year, and he actually played some minutes. Queensland. It was against New Jersey. So um, just to get a little bit of an idea of his game, he plays a heavier game than, let's say, Try Hard Energy. I don't think he's like slow though. So maybe once Bettner gets the cattle prod out, he can maybe pick up the pace a smidge and fulfill that type of role. Yeah. And again, but... we're going to have to
1: deprogram him from, from <laughs> AV's coaching.
2: <laughs> well, that's the other thing too. Like, like he had a pretty decent season, his, I guess you'd call it rookie year in the NHL, and then has slowly declined from that. But so has the rest of the Flyers. A lot of Yeah there guys that look promising don't anymore. So um yeah, we'll see. I, I think he can play a decent system game. I don't think he's gonna give you like a lot of IQ or a lot of I don't know, new things that the abs are gonna get, but he's better than Sherwood. He's a real NHL player. And he's not ancient, so sure why not and then looking at his analytics like this year hasn't been good but his PDO is like 930 <laughs> so maybe uh maybe they just kind of threw him out a little hastily there too they also protected him in the expansion draft for some reason so what is Philly doing who knows well, it's
1: funny like just looking at his individual stuff like you know his shot rates and his expected goal rates have stayed the same from last year, but he's playing like two shifts less a game. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I hate to harp on the AV thing a lot, but it's just like, he, you know, he prefers veterans way more than our perception of what the ABS do. So, you know, I, I can see why they would
3: you and know, I, so don't, get, I don't, I don't see it frustrated
1: with that, a player like this.
2: That game I watched, the Flyers were terrible defensively. So I don't even. If you could say you're clinging to the conservative, the vet thing, but you're playing good defensive, conservative hockey, I get that. But if you're not, then what's the point?
1: Just look who's behind the bench. I mean, Mike <laughs> Yo's there, Michael Terry, I mean, it's just. <laughs> I, I've called it the Devil's triumvirate. <clears throat> You know, it's just they, and they got Chuck Fletcher as the GM. I mean, it's like that. That's just a, a rudderless ship, <laughs> and it sucks because I, I mean, I you know, I take a lot of this personally because the Flyers. You may not even remember this, but they used to be really fun to watch. You know, it's like they have a lot of skill, which I know, like
2: I mean, a pre- lot of their players. I I, I think did they until like tre- gotten
1: rid of like Voracek, <laughs> and you know, it, it's like they've. <clears throat> They've pared themselves down to just garbage, and it's going to end up like every other AV team, where you just end up with nothing. Um, well,
2: that's why I kind of worried about, wondered about Goss Despair because, yeah, he starts sucking there, but the guy scored sixty five points once. I right, guess it, it's just all AV issue, and and he's leading. And in no Arizona, no offense, to
1: Vlad, totally... I don't think Arizona's where he's going to find <laughs> the magic again. But
2: he. He's lead I was looking it up earlier today. He's leading their team with like twelve points. Goss
1: is Okay. Fair. I mean that's great. I mean it's you know, again, it's nice to see a a nice middle finger back at your team that gave up on you.
2: <laughs> so I'm just saying I, I think there's definite reason to think that there could be some untapped, I'll say decency. We're like we're not getting a miracle. We're not getting a nuke here, but you know, I don't think we're getting Marco Dano. Waiver claim 2.0 here either. So if he could even be like Nieto, where he he finds a role, and it's not like he's been passed around either. Like he was waived once in 2019, and this is the second time he was waived. So it's not like he's been through five organizations and is mostly an AHL player. Like he's an NHL player.
1: Right. I mean, you know, he was a top 50 pick in the NHL draft. He was a top 10 pick in the QMJHL draft. So I mean you know people throughout his career have seen something that they liked in him so um you know it, it it's up to the av staff to see what they can you know see what they can dredge up quick
2: yeah i'll be interested to see him and <laughs> they need him more than ever now like, oh, well, they got it's it, went down it's a, it, it was a
1: great time to claim him because you know they've got this basically this whole week, I guess they'll probably travel Wednesday late afternoon or something like that.
2: No, isn't the game on Wednesday
1: game is Wednesday or sorry, Tuesday,
2: Tuesday. Yeah. I think so they gonna, will practice and then travel because they're going less.
1: Yeah. Um, so they'll, they'll practice on Monday, you know, probably a full team practice. It might be optional on Tuesday. Like they kind of been doing lately. Um, but you know, still they're, they're going to have time. Like I'm sure you know, hopefully he's either in town or communicating via Zoom with the coaching staff and getting punched up on the on the systems now, and then he can come in and you know at he least be able to.
2: Philly was on a back to back, and they were in Dallas yesterday, so it's sh- he should only have to travel from Dallas,
3: That's unless nice, they let Derek him go likes. home and
2: get his stuff, but probably not. they will be in Philly in what like. Three weeks or so. So maybe he gets yeah. prepped in.
1: <laughs> or maybe we'd be back there. Who knows?
2: <laughs> I think they intend to keep him, but of course we'll see yeah. how he
1: plays. Right. You know, I, and I'm, it's I, better I'm than positive.
3: Trade. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm way.
1: positive about this because there's definitely potential for it. And, but, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out. So, you know, hopefully this one does.
3: And what we usually don't like about Weaver claims is it's like a middle
2: finger to all the prospects, and you know, is is that a concern here? Like, are they just giving up on basically everyone else? Like, Newhook's back, and I, I think he'll stay, and that's great. But does that just pretty much mean the doors shut for everybody else?
1: I mean, I think they want Maltev to be a center, so I don't think, and I I don't think there's any way that. Obey Cabell is going to play center. So, um, you know, I, I don't I, I don't think it's great for Maltsev, but I, I don't think it's I, I don't think what they're going to be asking of the two guys is is very similar.
2: Well, there's others, too. I mean, I guess Kaut's probably done. And but what yeah. about Rampo? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I think I mean, I think Sampo needs to, to do what New Hook did. And, and, again, it seems like someone gets injured every game, so there's going to be plenty of opportunities.
2: Well, that too. And I agree with that, that if Sampo gets the New Hook plan 10 games or something, that's fine, or, or a little longer. But he needs to come back and he needs to become, like, a player. It, if it's going to be the whole, like, well, we'll see in camp next year and then just forget it. But... Bednar did have a little speech where he said it's not a death sentence for him and and that he's just basically needs to go do the new hook thing, so I'll believe in that for now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I want to see Sampo go down to the AHL and, and get comfortable down there um, just like Newhook did. <clears throat> so you know, the Eagles are at home for four straight weekends, um, so it's like no travel, lots of practice, a lot of opportunity for him to, to get his game together and um, get comfortable. Um, You know, I I think if you're looking at after like the third or fourth weekend there, you know, hopefully he's, he's kind of ready by then. And that would, you know, that would kind of jibe with 10 games. So
2: I don't have a 10 point like I did with new hook.
1: He doesn't but, score quite as much. Yeah,
2: exactly. So 10 <laughs> points might take longer. But let's just say definitely by 10 points. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, and one thing I wanted to ask you guys about uh, McKinnon's injury. Like Bednar said, it was something that happened in in, in that game um do you believe that or do you think it was something nagging maybe he he aggravated what was bothering him to the point that he had to stay out or or do you think it was something like they're like look we got to get this fixed because you're just not right um well and i i know you've been ragging on mac (laughs) a lot lately i'm interested (laughs) in your take on this
2: (laughs) well
3: i think you can pretty much.
2: Say a lot of his issues, I think, were mental. Were him pressing? Were you know playing stupid? And so, no, I don't think it was zithering something. And he just because it wasn't like he looked slower, or it wasn't like he looked less elusive, or things like that. It, it all just looked like selfish, dumb play to me. So, if it was bothering him. Sure, maybe that's possible, but then you're going to give everybody else the same free pass. I don't know. In a way, I guess just have to take them at their word that a lot of these other things do happen.
3: Cuz we always we do that.
2: <laughs> and then <laughs> I it's so hard sometimes to really get that he just has been a negative on the team and not in every aspect, I know that he had 10 points. A lot of them were even strength. It's not like he was terrible every single game. But he contributed to them not playing a team game. And I knew that they would play better when he was out of the lineup, which is sad. But the hope is that they can continue playing a good team game. And then when he comes back, that he's just going to have to fit into what they're doing and stop trying to hero hockey. everything.
3: If I and might then make a counterpoint, <laughs> and well, all we'll the boats there too.
1: If I might make a counterpoint here, say he was dealing with something nagging, a, a lower body issue, and that was frustrating him, and it was it, it caused him to be off just enough that his shooting percentage was below five percent, and he was trying <laughs> to force things through the middle when he really shouldn't every damn time. Um. i
2: guess guess it's it's possible i I can't say for sure like who knows but his shooting percentage went in the toilet last year so and then that's also why he only scored 20
3: oh it's kind of something
2: that i think is he gets frustrated and was it something happening to I don't know, but we see a lot of guys that seem like they come through the game fine and then find out come practice. They're not.
0: Jackie, you were mm-hmm. roboting a little bit on that one. You want to just okay. uh, go through that one more time for me?
2: Um, just that we see a lot of guys looks like they come through the line and find out Monday morning practice they're not. So I don't know why McKinnon would be somebody that's so in that regard that they just decide to pull the plug on him. Are they do a lot of these other guys? Were they doing that with Makar, where he's probably okay, but playing kind of still kind of weird. So let's just plug on him.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think you, you can kind of look and see like, all right, they got Miko and Berkey back and Taves on the back end. They're like, you know, Nate, this is probably your best shot. If you're going to take some time off to get this done whatever they need to get done.
2: But do you think uh, he would do? He just wants to play so badly.
1: I I mean, without knowing what it is, it's hard to say, but it's one of those things like it, if it's something that he would continue to aggravate it or it wouldn't get better throughout the whole season, then I can see like, look, we, you know, we got to get this fixed now. So you're right in February or in or, they don't play in february but all right you're right in march and april and beyond
2: well another team in february but <laughs> um i say i would say it is a plausible theory but as we've discussed before the avs don't really think long term they they're all about like we have to win tonight like they should yeah. be being conservative about a lot of things then like you've mentioned before, maybe not if if you have the option available, maybe not play Jackson every night. Maybe look at some of the older guys like Helm. I don't know. Maybe the guy's just pretty close to the cliff as it is, and there's no saving him. But if you're going to be conservative in one area, you should be conservative in all of them. And I just think that Benner just wants his group together. He wants everybody playing together and to see what they can do. So I don't think that he's consciously and it wouldn't be just his decision, but that they're consciously just trying to ease off guys and limit them. I think they are just that curse.
0: I think it's your, your question, Earl. Um, I almost think that both the mental and and physical aspect of McKinnon's injury kind of feed on each other where McKinnon feels he has to perform physically at a certain level And if something is not right with him physically, he's going to try, as we've all seen him, be stubborn and try and play through whatever this mystery ailment is to try to perform at that physical level. And because his body isn't delivering the results that he demands of himself, it's affecting him mentally. So mentally, he's trying to continue to push himself through not being physically 100%, and it's just creating this feedback loop where it's just not working for him to the point where the coaching staff has now told him, listen, you need you need to get back to where you're 100% before you can get back into the lineup and be performing at 100%. So, so was
2: he injured in the playoffs then? Does, he
0: usually is. <laughs> does, <laughs> does bruised egos count as injury?
1: Her pride? Uh, sure. No, I mean, I think both of you make good points on this. And it again, it's, it's so hard for us to know one way or the other. Um, you know, maybe we'll find out when he comes back, um, you know, a, li- a little bit more about what went into the decision. Um, you know, maybe Nate will come out and say, like, look, you know, this, w- this was something that was affecting my play, and it just needed to be taken care of to, you know, be who I need to be out there. Um, <coughs> I... You know, I, I hope it fixes him. I, I, I hope he comes back and he's happy and well adjusted again, like he always is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I mean, another- they're going
2: to need him. I don't want to make it sound like, oh God, they don't need Nathan in anymore. Like, they obviously yeah. need him and his talent and his ability to get where they want to go. They just, he has to fit in better.
1: And another sort of injury-related question I wanted to throw out there was um, Murray was the guy that had to take a seat, um, you know, basically when that 18-minute-and-36-second period when they were actually all healthy, Um Do you think that was the right thing to do? And do you think that they were thinking, we'll maybe swap Murray and and Jack Johnson back and forth? Or was it sort of like Murray's the seventh guy?
2: I think Murray, the seventh guy. I mean, it, it was absolutely no surprise to me. That following his usage every single game, his time on ice, what Bednar said, the way that Bednar commented about the ej and johnson pair you know he said he's got a good top four and the johnson and johnson oh and murray's good too you know it just <laughs> it was obvious <laughs> where they were going with that like i had said it over and over again like murray's the guy that's losing this battle now was that the right call or not i don't know but then the swapping thing—we know that Bednar doesn't swap. We know that yeah. he likes his lineup. He likes rolling it out night after night. Now I think he likes Murray. I, and it was a, probably a, a, an unhappy scratch. It was a painful decision, but it was one that was coming.
1: Well, I mean, and, and this isn't a Barbario situation. Like you can't not play him for three weeks or three months or whatever.
2: Well, um, I guess cross that bridge when they get there, right? Get him
1: in. Yeah, it's like. like you know, obviously like that problem was solved the next night, but um
2: So yeah, you know, if, if they had is points.
1: fine this week, you know, God willing. And you know, he's scratched again, like they're gonna have to play him sometime between now and Thanksgiving, like at least one game.
2: I maybe like, I don't you know. I maybe mean, there, there's have... a back to back coming up with where they actually relent or do you just assume at this point that you're not going to have an injury for in a week? The rest so of the year? it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was a decision that was made a long time ago. Like it was probably a decision that was made after camp. And as long as Jack Johnson wasn't terrible, that really didn't flip flop.
1: I mean, they're paying Murray a lot of money.
3: It um, does
2: sound silly. That here's the guy that was probably your best free agency signing. And, yeah. and then you're playing the, the guy in the PTO instead of him.
1: Right. But and it, it, it would be one thing if Murray still looked like he did in, say, the first five games. Uh, because he wasn't very good. But I, I think as the team sort of scratched in their and clawed their way back up to mediocrity, you know, he was actually playing better. But I don't um,
2: think EJ played much with has played much with Murray. Like they pre with Sam. Either. And I just don't think they see EJ Murray as a pair. So it's like EJ and JJ is the pair. They're like the defensive, the third pair. If you even look at last night's game, EJ didn't really play that much. Like EJ is pretty solidly third pair at this point, I think. So
1: yeah, they definitely don't. they I think they're definitely consciously not using him a ton.
2: So I, getting at is I think it's also more who they like the match with EJ better. As far as like, did they just completely believe that Jack Johnson's better than Murray? I think it's just that. There's a lot of things that go into it. But they probably won't have to make that decision that often. So, yay for them.
0: I agree. I think the decision will be made for them considering how the injury cards have been dealt out with this team to this point. You, of course, don't want to root for injury and you don't hope for anybody to get injured. But Murray will likely get his chance at some point here if things continue on this track and while that sucks that it's going to take somebody that's playing above him out of the rotation at least they'll still have somebody available that isn't a sunken cost that they can put in the lineup before they reach that bridge and knock on wood
1: speaking so- of sunken costs <laughs> like say that, you know we, we kind of go through this period where maybe only one defenseman at a time is injured um what do they do with McDermott? Like, is he just going to be Barbario and never play, or you know? I, like, I
2: mean, come on, you're really going to count on him like not playing for any large stretch of time. But in the hypothetical, are they will willing to just sit him? I think they absolutely would. For He's months. not somebody that needs to play. <laughs> I mean, months without an injury, they're down to it's not- just him left as the extra. <clears throat> But I get it. You're saying hypothetically what's their thinking with him. I think they do think of him as some sort of auxiliary just carry him along as the extra player. If they can go on a road trip and he's the extra, they probably would do that. I wish it would get to a I'm point say, where
1: I'm they saying, actually have I'm to I'm saying more decide. like, are they? would they try to find time on ice for him? Would they you know no. he, would would they play him if they didn't have to?
2: I don't think so. And the way it's worked out, he's played plenty, unfortunately. and he's so right now one guy away from playing again. Yeah, so I don't think they're too concerned about that. it I would love to see a full lineup for a long stretch of time and then see how they would use some of these guys, but this just never happens. and it is funny that on defense, you have the clear 7th extra is like a real player that you want in your lineup. And they have that on the forward side. They're not even close to that. Like, are we at to the point where we're just going to admit that Magna is the 4C? Like, he, he's not leaving ever. Right? Like, this is just kind of <laughs> what's happened.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I, and I don't think he's honestly been that bad. I know a lot of people really don't like watching him, but...
2: Well, I know his analytics I, I are Aside from the terrible. fact he can't
1: produce any points, and that's fine. No. <laughs> but but honestly, what happens when he's on the ice isn't bad.
2: No, I know his analytics are fine, which is actually an improvement for a lot of the HL guys. And right. I think he's at least been better about the dumb cherry-picking lately, so that's helpful. But it's not, so I agree that he hasn't been something I'm mad about, but my point is that he's not just an extra, like, he's kind of the 4C. And that's a little disturbing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, if they see him as the best option there, for right now, I I don't have a problem with that but as maltsev gains time with the eagles he does look good down there <clears throat> i'm not sure you know he's he's definitely not at new hook pace as far as accumulating points or anything like that i think but, it was the
2: same it's 11 and 10 or 10 and 11 something they had like the same points
1: yeah it's 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 close um but i i, I think they want him to have more time down there um, well
2: here's the other thing like new hook's a young guy and he hasn't played pro that long. So the AHL benefiting him is one situation. Maltsev is like, he's on a third year of his ELC. He's, he spent an entire year in the AHL. He spent an entire year in the NHL. So I don't know what you think he's going to get. Like, I think he had a good weekend. Like he definitely looked involved, engaged, impactful, but he's not going to be a tryhard guy. He's not going to be a four check monster. Like, he is who he is. So, you either at some point, you have to decide, can we use that or are we just done with this guy? Like, I don't think 20 more AHL games he's going to like become Bednarized. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> so, then what are you going to do with him? Are you going to swap him and Megna out or are you just basically riding out the year until you just don't qualify him?
1: It's an interesting question. Um, I I think if he had left the team under more auspicious conditions, I'd be a little more hopeful. Um, you you know, mean if he didn't I get
2: caught while they were on the plane?
1: <laughs> right. After making just an unforgivable error. Um, but I, I think when you look at, at Malta, you're you're just... I, I think it's just going to be tough for, for Bednar to say, hey, I want that guy up um, just for kicks.
2: Like, I think management probably would like to see him again, but I just don't. He's have no rope, is my concern there. Like, maybe they have to call him up with Confers out. They're going on the road. They're going to have to bring an actual forward and somebody that's not McDermott as an extra. So. They probably will need a recall. Would he be the most likely? Or are they just going to bring up Sakura? Because that would be soul-sucking. And they definitely would do that, too.
1: I'm not sure Benar likes Sakura much.
2: I don't think so either, but he's the one that has points. So if we're going by the hero scale, even though Maltziv has produced, so we're not even talking about he hasn't earned his hero points, but Sakura's is above him on the hero scale.
1: Yeah. But I just I I think I think they got a good look at It's a Curse game and are just like that's just not something we need.
2: But five hundred thousand dollars, they gotta get their money's worth. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it, I, I think it will be interesting. I, I, I think when we look a month from now after the Eagles go through this stretch at home where they're going to be practicing a lot just to see what what Sampo and and Maltsev look at the end of that if if they are indeed still with the Eagles um just see where you know how much they've improved if any or um you know if if they've been passed over a bunch of times for for vets and and things like that um you know i i think it's going to say a lot about the the avs mentality about them
2: I'd love for them to actually have to come to a decision where they need to waive McDermott, but that probably will never happen. He, that's like awesome. the curse that he's brought, is that no way is he leaving because they'll never be to a point where they can do it.
1: I mean, you just can't wave a guy like that. I mean, look <laughs> look, look what happened when the Flyers waved obey Cabell, you know? <laughs> There's always a buyer. There's always <laughs> a buyer.
2: The funny thing is, is that the Flyers claimed their goon, Zach McEwen from Vancouver, and that they chose to keep him over Obakevel <laughs> Is also how that
1: happened. Yeah. So, I mean, there's interesting things ahead. And, it, you know, I, I think, I think what, what we're seeing over the next week for the abs and then the next few weeks for the Eagles is, you know, a, a lot of chance for guys to get healthy and or more comfortable in, in what they're doing. Um, so I, th- I think by, by, our, by Christmas, we're going to have a really good idea sort of on the full hierarchy in the organization.
2: I hope so, but I don't know if I'm seeing this carousel end anytime soon. Might just be like this. And I don't want to say it, but there also could be a COVID situation that every team has to think about. And I know that Benner feels like the abs are past it because everyone's vaccinated and everybody has had COVID basically, but there always could be a situation where seven or eight guys can't play or not even that just one, two here or there. So I just don't think they're ever going to have the full team together.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's tough to see, and it's honestly like you. You just never have that. Like, well, of course, like there might. To, to there, say there, that there might be have, three like... weeks a season where you get a stretch where everybody's healthy, and you're like, "Wow, I just can't imagine what it's like if someone got injured." You know, and <laughs>
2: they can't even have a. Then period it starts again. It. Yeah, they can't even have a period of it. I just, I know you. You know that somebody's basically going to be injured all the time you're going to be missing one guy, but they're basically always going to be missing like three guys.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know. I, I think in today's NHL, that's just sort of how you have to deal with it.
2: It's disappointing. You
1: know, it's, it's, more, it's more like the NFL where you're just sort of counting on the fact that you're going to be missing two or three key players every week.
2: Well, the NFL, they don't come back. Well, I know they changed the rule a little bit, but it's like, you start with 80 guys or something. You're lucky if you have 30 at the end of the year. 30 of those guys and you have 20 off the street.
3: (laughs) Right. That's what it
2: feels like. That's what it's starting to feel like. It's just... It's hard to enjoy the team and you know there's always going to be adversity, but it's just disappointment after disappointment and it's
3: depressing.
1: Yeah. No, it's. I I mean... it is really tough to adjust to that. You just expect guys to be out all the time. And it just, again, I, I wish it wasn't like this and I wish more was done to, to make the game, uh, you know, a, a little bit less rough on guys, but yeah, this is the world we live in now.
3: Yeah. Yay. Hockey. <laughs> Let's get into some
1: stars and scratches, shall we? Sounds good. Let's do it. Earl, who do you got? I was gonna say Sam, but I'll let Jackie take that. (laughs) Okay. Um (laughs) um, There I mean I guess I'll I'll start with Bo. Um just because again, he's he's been so fantastic. And I know he got injured and he missed, you know, half the time that we're talking about this week, but what he looked like in that first period against Vancouver, I mean, there was there was one shift, and I can't remember if it was a power play or five on five, but it, it looked like the Harlem Globetrotters. They, they should have had Sweet Georgia Brown playing, like they were moving east west and passing the puck off and creating space. Um, and Byron just looked so at home, you know, playing with Landy and Miko and. You know, that that whole top line.
2: I know you're talking about, I think it was right after the power play and he was out there with Makar. And it it ended up in the goal that, what was it, Landy scored from Makar? Yeah. um, But yeah, that whole shift was crazy. It was just like, what are these these guys doing? Like, didn't he have like two good chances of his own and like a couple passes? I know, he was amazing in that in that period and then then the steal. i don't even know who he stole it from was it petterson or i don't know oh, the, the one on the,
1: the Miko goal
2: yeah the vancouver yeah. 40 stole it from and then the nhl gave him a point and took it away i mean come <clears> on <throat> give the guy the damn point but yeah like he's been good every single game which is kind of crazy for a 20 year old and to be able to play that style consistently is crazy
1: it's like yeah, it's, it's almost just, it, too
2: good to be true a,
1: the way he looks comfortable with the the older more skilled players Um and I know Makar is you know far from being old um, but it just you know Makar has sort of developed into fitting in with those guys very quickly and you know Byram's right there and th- yeah that's like just... he's
2: special in his own right he's a little bit different than Makar and in that five minutes he got to play he was like plus two was 11 four, one course he against like just right a crazy period like that's part of why they got out to a lead like that it's just just say a prayer everyone say a prayer
0: <laughs> light candles if we have to
2: I will seriously. I will light a candle.
1: All right, go ahead and talk about Sam. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> um, well, it goes back to uh, you know earlier this week when some of our wonderful local Denver media decided to go on national radio in Canada, talking about how Gerard's going to be traded by him. And that they want to get rid of his cap hits, you know, all $5 million of it. And that the guy that's led the team, like two years ago, he led the team in even strength time on ice. They're going to showcase that guy, first of all. And, um, you know, everyone's been crap. Sam, and not to say he didn't deserve some of it, but all the top players have been pretty crappy too. And um, you know, he comes out last night and he has a four-point performance. It was awesome that he got the empty net goal. Uh, he's had some really nice plays. Like, that pass on New Hook's goal was, was like, just vintage. There's not that many guys that can make – has the vision and the ability to make that pass. So, I'm glad that everyone loves Sam. Well, they don't love him. I mean, come on, let's be real. But everyone's happy with Sam for one game because he got four points. But they need this guy, first of all. And second of all, it's sad that you need to have Byram gone to understand the appreciation of what he brings to the team and how he helped create all those goals and that win yesterday. So.
1: And it wasn't just four points. I mean, he's had seven points this week, I think. I think he had one in the second Columbus game, two against um, Vancouver, and then four against San Jose. You know, He's gone from struggling to highest-scoring defenseman on the team.
2: And it's... Well, remember, he was on a 55-point pace last year. Of course, pace never gets brought out when we're talking about Sam. So... Keep that one in mind too, is that just like I said, he's on a 72
1: point pace now. This,
2: <laughs> <laughs> they beat this guy. Like, it's unfathomable. I get some of the more reasonable people are saying because of Byron, do you can't? And we need a damn forward. Who's expendable? It's not Sam. Let's just put it that way. He's not gonna be the one that's going. They need him. He he's durable. He makes a difference. His defense, they need everything. And And I like I said controlled. And that too. Signed forever, good price. He honestly, I believe he's the backbone of the defense. Like you have the more dynamic guys like McCarr and Byram. You have the old Got EJ but truly this team took a step when Sam came to the team and he changed that defense so it's just absurd to think that he is expendable so I'm glad that he got his it's three that, points <laughs> and everyone could think boy <laughs> he actually does something positive but he's you always need him end of story yeah, so I mean- yes
1: it's it's tough to imagine a situation where you win a trade by trading him. You know, again, it's like you have him cost controlled for so long. <clears throat> he's happy there. He likes the team, likes playing in the system. You know, it just it, I just I, I don't see how you could win a trade like that.
2: Well, so. then you bring out your hopes and dreams and Think of what wonderful forwards you could get for him. And I'm sure you could come up with forwards where you could justify that you're gonna matter <laughs> if you get a real legitimate 2C or whatever. I'm not gonna throw out names, but you know, I get that argument, but he's not the one <laughs> trade. Period. <laughs> 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 like some insane people <laughs> the interview and think. That and these are rumor people that think that the islanders want Sam and they're gonna get him at the deadline. First of all, the Avs haven't traded a roster player at the deadline in the Sakic era, and I'm not a Ginla. And second of all, what <laughs> what are the Islanders gonna give for him? I guess their idea is Bavillier, who I like, but come on, let's get real. Yeah. Like we're gonna trade Sam controlled for six
3: years for pavilier. it's just
2: craziness it's just it's hating it's it does make me angry and it's just sad that Byron has to go down for people to appreciate him again like oh yeah maybe we do want somebody decent around that could help pick up the slack so he deserves a star he deserves a star most weeks let's be honest And we'll just leave it at that.
0: (laughs) Well, hopefully his performance of late has uh, quieted any uh, nonsense from the uh, media gallery here about whether he stays or goes. As far as uh, my star. uh, You know what? I'm. I'm still going to. Originally, I wanted to pick Nuke but I think I'm still going to stick with Kadri. I I'm I still like how he's been playing. I'll give Nuke an honorable mention because it's great to have him back. Clearly, as we've discussed earlier in this episode, he's been severely missed and he fits a very specific role and has, to me, and the team kind of relaxes a little bit more when he's in the lineup. But for me, I think uh, Kadri has definitely shown a lot of improvement. And we need we need that out of him, of course. So for me, I just feel that that's probably where I give my star for the week is just a continued consistency out of him.
2: I'll co-sign that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Nas has been really good this year. I was this was not what I expected from him. I, I really thought he fell off the cliff last year, and you know, he's leading the team in points and. Doesn't get hurt,
2: and and the consistency thing, like Vlad said too. Like I really can't think of too many bad games. He's been pretty decent throughout, so that will be huge for the ABS if they ever do get somewhat healthy.
1: Yeah, I mean I was a big advocate for trading him this summer, and you know I'm I'm glad they didn't.
2: I I do want to give an honorable mention to O'Connor. I know that I've been challenging him a little tough on him but he scored some nice goals I'll give the guy credit like he's figured out how to put the puck in the net and that's what I wanted to see I wanted to see him see just more out of him than just the luxury version of Sherwood and he's been better than that absolutely so I want to give him credit yeah we'll see how the top line O'Connor works but he does understand his role understands who he is and does his thing. I still want to see if that energy keeps up cuz he has not played a ton of NHL games, but the skill level and the impact ability and he's more than just a luxury AHLer is what I wanted to see. So, I want to give him credit for that.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's he's brought back the shorthanded goal. I mean, I remember, <laughs> and this is just Pete being Pete, but I remember Pete saying last year that nobody ever scores shorthanded goals anymore just because the abs don't.
3: <laughs> right. And I'm like, no,
1: it's not it. It's just the abs don't score any. <laughs> and it's, you know, having one last year, and I think Ball even asked Bednar about this either today or yesterday. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, last year you had one shorthanded goal and you have three already this year. You know, what's up with that? And he said, "You know, we're not doing anything different. It's just you know we're executing when we do have the chances. So you know it's it's important to have like, the right you guys do
2: that, Yeah, 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 you need guys that could do that is why you score shorthanded right. goals
1: exactly. And it, it just I think having that threat, um, it builds on what you're trying to do as a pK unit. you know when you when you have the threat of a shorthanded goal, you know, teams just have to play just a little bit more conservative. And,
2: well, yeah, they not. know they can't turn it over in the middle of the ice.
1: Right. Okay, what so.
2: Comfort does, but I won't pick on the dead. I, won't pick on the dead. <laughs> I do honestly w- wish a speedy recovery to Comfort because. He's definitely better than whatever they're going to replace him with. Let's just put it that way. But we could see some other guys on the top line at top PP. That, that wouldn't be the worst thing ever.
0: No. All <sighs> right. Scratches. Jackie, you want to go first on this one?
3: <laughs> I'm, oh, who do I want to scratch?
2: Maybe not. Give me a second to think.
1: All right, Earl, you're up. I'm going to scratch Tyson Jost. Um,
2: it's probably time.
1: Yep, yeah, he's just, he's, you know, we we thought he was over the hump last year, and you know what? He's not. Um, he's he's just the same old guy he used to be. Um, and granted, like, he, he has shown flashes of it. Like, when he is on the right third or fourth line, um, You know, it's like in, in that brief moment when Helm, O'Connor, and, and Jost were together, like that kind of worked like the way that, that he and Nechushkin and, and either Sod or Donnie did last year. Um, you know, just with, with a far lesser degree of effectiveness. But well, uh, overall, he's been a ghost. It's,
2: um, you know, it's just so tough to discuss Joe's because... There's so many perceptions of him. (laughs) Yeah, there's just perceptions of him. Like some people can't get over where he was drafted, or he's basically been given the total red carpet treatment in the organization. Like he's just always he's just never in the doghouse. Like I know that Benner gets unhappy with him, but you know what I mean? Like he's just they just play him no matter what. They just believe in him and He's going to turn it around. But I think kind of who he is. But it's is... not like he
1: plays bad. That's the thing. <laughs> know, like, he doesn't go this... out there and play shitty, <laughs> he just doesn't produce anything.
2: <laughs> well, it's sort of like his basic identity is the same. Like, you, you know, to see the Jost game. And is he ever making like the worst turnover, the worst mistake? Not really. No, he's so very
1: responsible. He...
2: He's sort of consistent in a way, but it's just sort of consistently nothing too. And I'm not someone that's like, oh boy, this guy better score forty points, or even thirty points. But
1: uh, he just—I well, I think they were counting fun. on him to. <laughs>
2: well, that's insane. Be
1: a leader in the bottom six and sort of, you know, make that viable. And then, granted, again, we've had injuries out the wazoo, and it's tough when you're not playing with the same people every night, but. So you is it like
2: does he need Nuke? Does he have to be handcuffed to Nuke or someone like Nuke? Like I remember he had decent stretches with the guys like Colin Wilson. You know, somebody maybe like that. I don't know. They're gonna hope and pray that he can play with Obey Kubel and sort of come up with something similar.
1: Yeah, I mean that'd be nice. Um, but it, it it's apparent that he You can't just put him anywhere and expect him to do good things. He has to be in a fairly narrow range of situations uh, to do more than just be a fairly responsible guy. Um,
2: and I haven't really looked deep in his analytics like is he's even getting into the eye test. It doesn't seem like he's getting a lot of chances or shots. I think maybe that no. would make you feel better if he was like <laughs> doing more. Like he's he's never necessarily accomplishing a lot, but he's usually doing more. So it's really yeah, hard I mean, to say. It's just like... I
1: defy you to remember a single thing he's done all season. That's kind of where he's at. <laughs> you know? And I and I hate that because it's like he is a nice guy. He's a good guy to have on the team and and, and you know, having that responsibility and not turning the puck over as much as everyone else, you know, that's kind of nice, but it's like when you can't remember a single thing, the guy's done all year. You're just like, I mean, can you replace that? (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) I think he did have one pretty good chance, but I can't even tell you what game that was. So yeah, basically. Right. (laughs) And then putting him on the power play, just, yeah, that doesn't work. They don't do it much, but when it happens, it doesn't work. It's just... But the funny thing is, I'm never really that... Like, I get way more frustrated with Comfort, because his screwing up is, like, just so obvious. Yeah. And, they, yeah. and then they put him in an even bigger role, too. That is. It's not like... Thing. It's not even so much about the money, it's just that they think he's way better than he is. Like, Jost... I don't think they think he's better than he is. They expect more from him sometimes, but for the most part, he is sort of like an inoffensive bottom six guy, but you're right. It's not good enough right now. It's definitely, and and I remember
1: having this conversation early last season as well. And, you know, again, when, when he was put together with Nechushkin, bam, that took off and, Maybe that's just something that we're waiting for, and not. I'm not saying that that he's going to be put with Nuke, but to to find that chemistry with with a, a complementary player that, that he obviously needs to be successful. I mean, it just you can't put him with just anybody and expect things.
2: So yeah, yeah, and it's sad that you have to manage like a two million dollar player, but here we are. <laughs> but he's he's usually not on my top of guys that I thought sucked so he's just kind of there <laughs> I yeah. and and going through this kind of made me think of who my scratch is I say helm like other than a few of the short moments which have been great yeah he's just not I, good. I was gonna
1: say him but but the the shorthanded <laughs> stuff saved his bacon
2: but is he even really been that good at all this year. I don't really think so. Like, I think the guy's kind of done. I I think that,
1: I think the tough thing was all the penalties he was taking and that kind of tapered the last couple of games, but, um, that's, I mean, like for a guy who's, you know, one of your top penalty killers, um, you know, you you don't want to see that, and it's not like he was taking lots of penalties, but he just went through a stretch where he was getting one every game. <clears throat> um, but and and I know agree. it's
2: tough <laughs> to played in one organization fifteen years. But I just, I don't think it's a comfort thing. I just think he's just really limited.
0: I'll agree that he's been pretty invisible as well. So maybe with this. You know, his shorthanded antics with O'Connor has kind of delayed the uh, inevitable, but I think we'll have a better, clearer picture on both Helm and Jost once the schedule kicks into high gear coming up when the Azure come back from this road trip. We'll really start to kind of see the picture start to materialize a little more clearly.
2: And in a way, yeah, that's I mean, a little bit scary because can that guy play four times a week?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think the best case is that Jost and Helm find some chemistry together, and and obviously, like O'Connor is good for both of them, and and when
2: I, he's you, the
3: opposite of injuries what makes allow that. To... Is the no, pro- but I problem.
1: You think Helm is?
2: No, I think the, uh, he's the opposite. Like, yeah. Jost needs a good, good four checking presence. He needs maybe somebody to, not necessarily an energy tryhard. I think he's fine with O'Connor, but I don't think that's like his best match ever either. So, I, honestly, the best hope might be Obey Kubel because I don't think anyone else on the roster is, unless he gets nuked back, that's. He's kind of on an island. And I think Helm is squarely a fourth liner now. Like He obviously will play higher in the lineup just in disaster times, but like better play him that much.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think telling. JB likes playing him.
2: <laughs> no, and they don't play him in the clutch to the vets situations either when they're clinging to a lead late in periods or late in games. They don't play him in those situations. So that also kind of tells you what Benar
1: thinks of him. Yeah. Like he, he is not in the pebbles category where it's like, you know, you always see pebbles out there with like the top line or something like that when they're trying to finish off a game. Um, and it's like, you just,
3: you wouldn't see that with Helm. I'm going to give my scratch to, uh,
0: Powerplay Unit 1.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, the Powerplay always... is pretty... Sad. <laughs> sorry.
0: And and that's even, you know... sure, McKinnon's not on it right now, but even when he was, it just wasn't clicking very well. And it became, over, especially over the course of the game against San Jose, that uh, Bender started to lean more into Unit 2 and started unit two on their power plays over unit one, so I'm not sure if that's message sending to unit one or if it's just a, a vote of confidence for unit two. But I, I saw a still little writing
2: bit- the hot hand, like he'll because like they scored on the the power play. So then he's like, you know, you know what, going to ride the hot hand. But then he'll tend to default back in the next game.
1: Well, he also like if if. If the first line draws a penalty, then usually the second one goes out. So you got to take that into the-
2: right. But I, it, I agree with Vlad. It wasn't that. It was yeah. definitely later on in the game they wanted to start with those guys, and they were doing and a I, good job. Like they had a lot more urgency. The Sam and Tays work well together. And surprise, surprise. And um,
1: well, Kadri's just- been pretty good on it, and he made a play the other day. Like. He came out from behind the net when they switched up, and I the first unit was out there and came off, and second unit came on. He went behind the net, got the puck, and went straight up the ice with it. No stupid drop pass, no no angle pass, nothing like that. He gained the zone, and they eventually scored on it. Um, and that's that stuck with me. I was like, you know, I, I think they're overthinking their zone entries a little too much on the first unit when they're trying to sweet Georgia Brown it in their own zone or in the (laughs) neutral zone. You know, it's like Nas just went like right in there and that's kind of what you have to do. I noticed Burakovsky does that a lot too when he's on the second unit, you know, it's like they don't mess around as much and you know, they get in the zone and get to work. I think that helps a lot. I I, I think, you know, I mean, they lose a lot of the face-offs in the offensive zone and it's like they, they almost always start the power play by having to go back and read the puck. And then that leads to farting around for ten or fifteen seconds before you even get to the neutral zone and then
2: But this you know, team's always dangerous on entry, so in some ways I don't think that's like the worst thing ever.
1: Is yeah. you know,
2: they're a transition team, so they would naturally be more dangerous in that sort yeah, but of you, all right, you setup. Look,
1: you look at any time we play a team that has someone on the PK that used to play for the abs. Oh my like, God. Yeah. They I... cover the drop <laughs> pass. And it, not only it's... that,
2: they, they cover the end zone pass. If they ever get right. set up, they're just waiting. Like they're seriously right. just looking at McCarr and just wait. Cause they right. know. And like remember
1: Carl last year with Arizona <laughs> yeah. before he got traded. It's like, he would just sit there he's like, I'm not letting it happen. You got to do something else guys. <laughs> you know and it, it
3: yeah it's so at, obvious
1: and like belly did that when we were in tampa i mean it's like <laughs> you, you go against guys that know the system and it's just like wow Or nieto is, and what are, san are we gonna jose. do someone figured it out uh so yeah um, nieto and
2: san jose too it's...
1: right <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, someone I... made that remark last night i think it was me just, <laughs> yeah i mean it's just you you make you know, you make the, the job so much harder when you do the same thing every time. Oh.
2: I know. And just the power play is such a source of frustration. And it has been for years. And anybody that's listened to this show for years knows that it's a pretty common complaint. It's just they could get so much more out of it. I hate that they're just satisfied with being good. When it when it's working, it's good, and it's mostly because they have all world talent. Yeah, but it could be. But it's not good this year, (laughs) and it hasn't been good. and And people will say, "Is how many games did they really have that full unit together? Maybe one, but that's really no excuse. Like just because you don't have McKinnon doesn't mean that you can't set up the whole rest of the thing. If you're just not getting good shots from that." left side,
1: that's one thing, but it's... I went through some numbers, and it's like, in the wins, their penalty differential is a plus 13, or their power play differential, like actual power plays they they get to do, is a plus 13, and their losses is plus 2. And their power play effectiveness, they're 6 for 27 in their wins, and 1 for 19 in the losses. So, there's probably a correlation between having more power plays... In effectiveness and you well power know,
2: play goals do in games like <clears throat> like the one in Tampa that McKinnon scored they absolutely needed that goal to even get that game to over, overtime right and then but a lot <laughs> it's funny because a lot of that weird stuff they've been doing with the goalie pulled and I know I know the last six on five wasn't that was more even strength. but like some of the earlier ones. Was six on five, it's just it's so convoluted the way that those stats have shook out this year.
1: Yeah, but it, I, I mean, Bednar has said this many times. It's like, if you want a, an effective power play, get lots of power plays. And he's right, because it's like, when they get lots of power plays, they score more and they win. So... Well,
2: in a way, that's unfortunate, because you shouldn't... If you're counting on getting five power plays to be able to convert and have it make a difference in a game that's really dangerous
1: i think that's a symptom i you know i think you know i think when you're moving your feet when you're being dangerous you're drawing more calls
2: well sure and and that's
1: a feedback loop
2: and i'm sure bednar would say that too that you're earning those power plays but we know how it goes we know that a lot of times they want to even up, and I wouldn't trust this penalty kill to kill five penalties on the other side. Some refs just won't call. Some It'll be a light power play game, and you might only see
1: two, three. And actually, the funny thing is the the penalty kill is better in the losses than it is in the wins. <laughs> so,
2: well, that might it doesn't, it doesn't where... seem like the penalty
1: kill has a correlation with winning. um,
2: well, it could be but the other yeah, thing, I mean, it just, its
1: just it's one of those things, like i I do think that's a symptom. I, I just think there's a there's a reason that we see a big penalty differential in the games that they win. and it's not that the refs are calling the game better. I, I just think that they're being more dangerous. They're drawing the calls, and and that just makes, you know that that means that they're on it that night.
2: I'll agree with that. it It is part of why they've drawn a lot of penalties the last couple of years is because right. they play that aggressive fast, tend to draw penalties. I just wouldn't count on that for converting and winning games. Like no. you have to be able to convert on a one out of two, one out of three.
1: Right. And I, you know, not to rag on the coyotes, but it's like under Rick Tockett, they, you know, their, their philosophy seemed to be, let's keep it one, one in five on five play and hope we get winning on a power play. Um, and that's, that's not how you, you should think. And, and <clears throat> well,
2: no, you want to win it five on five, but right. Power play, but some teams
1: power are fine, games. like at a stalemate five on five and trying to win it with special teams. And it's like, I, I don't think the abs do that at
0: all.
2: But you have to be able to like, if you yeah. get three power play, if it's a close game and you get three power plays, you'd need to score on one to win the yeah. game. And that's what a lot of these come down to. If, if they're able to at least do that. And I know that's 33% and that's asking a lot as an average, but then again, you know, teams like Edmonton are at that kind of average. And so it is possible. I just don't like the being satisfied with it. Like, it, Oh, it's good enough. It's top 10 statistically, yeah. you know, right. they and do we've, score on it. Past,
1: we, we've seen in the past that, you know, when, when they do have a, a, an efficiency, which is, you know, their percentage is, is better than the eye test indicates. It's because like they scored three on Chicago and, in Los Angeles or something like that. And that, you know, those those sort of extra meaningless goals against bad teams are what, you know, sort of make it look better than it is. Then I realize, you know, it's like Edmonton, I'm sure, cleans up on all the bad teams because they can't stop anything. But it just, um, you know, when you clean up against the bad teams, you also have to be good against the good teams as well.
2: Well, if the Avs are going to have to come from behind more, maybe deal with deficits more, we'll see. That's how you climb out of it when you're able to draw that third period penalty and then you can make the other team pay. That's huge.
3: Because it is a
2: momentum changer. It's like five on five is so important. And that's really the measure of individual performance and, and things like that. But the power play will always be important.
1: So glad you were right. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> agree with
2: scratching the power play. <laughs> That's kind of a universal scratch, but sometimes it works. So.
0: At the at the <laughs> risk of uh, incurring future injury, I didn't want to make the scratch of getting having players get hurt in the first period. The scratch for this episode, <laughs> but we are done with that.
2: <laughs> Knock on wood. Knock well, on yes, wood. on wood. Didn't work. So whatever. <laughs> Get a voodoo doll.
0: Burn incense. Make a sacrifice. Do something. Sacrifice a Tyler Arneson jersey or something. (laughs) So the Avs are bound to hit the road here in the next couple of days. They will head up to Vancouver for the first time in a long time to rematch against the Canucks. That is... A very unusual 7 p.m. Denver start time. I noticed that.
2: Is it some sort of Canada Sportsnet special or some crap like that?
0: Oh, probably their Wednesday night hockey kind of thing they do. Could be.
1: It's the night they love to hate. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Two nights later, they will be making their first ever visit to Climate Pledge Arena to face the Seattle Kraken and old friends Jonas Donskoy and Philip Grubauer. That is a 8 o'clock Denver start time. So thankfully it's on a Friday, so people can stay up late for this one.
1: Yeah, I was going to say it'll be tough, but I think I can make it through that one.
0: The Avs will return home for their Next set of four games in a week, beginning on the 22nd, that is a home game against the Ottawa Senators. That is a 6.30 p.m. local start time. So get there early and be prepared for the COVID checks. Bring your vax cards, bring your proof of vaccinations that aren't vax cards, Mm -hmm. proof of negative tests, whatever you need to gain entry into ball arena.
1: On in one point about the Seattle game, um, that is an ESPN Plus exclusive. So, fire up your illegal stream of choice for that if you don't have ESPN Plus.
2: Oh, like what I do every night. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's no different for our listeners in the Denver area. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> Status quo for those in the home markets. This
1: is anyone near or far who doesn't have ESPN Plus. You can't just turn on the TV and watch it.
0: So until we uh, gather around the microphones for our next episode, uh, Earl, Jackie, this was fun. It was. And we will see you next time.